Don't you love that? I love um, the opportunities we have to, to see stories, particularly through this series. And it makes me think about um, you know, our history, not only the history of McDowell, like not just the history of, of the place that we're at right now, but just the history of the Christian movement, the church from its very beginning. In the first century, there is this practice where, where the people would come together um, and, and it was for the purpose of teaching. They would, we, they would work through scriptures and they would pray and they would worship, but they would also tell stories. They would answer this question. What's God done in your life? How has God revealed himself to you? How is, how is God transforming you to be more like Jesus? And I love uh, to hear stories like, like Kai's and, and the way she articulated, you know, I, I believed in God that, that he was there somewhere existing, but I don't know that I always believed God. That, that his way was really best, that his way was going to bring me full life. Um, and so I, I love the stories. And I'll just tell you right now, um, we talk as a, as a staff all the time about, you know, there, there's, there's many more stories out there. You have a story. Um, how, do we, how do we tell those stories? Uh, and so there's going to be opportunities to, to do that coming up. Uh, my name is Matt Zielich. I'm the student life pastor here. And uh, I have an opportunity to kind of jump in for this series and, and kind of wrap it up. We've been going through a series, Finding Your Way Back to God. Have you ever wandered from God? Have you ever found yourself feeling like, like you've, you've strayed away? And, uh, and if you've ever felt that way, the question can become, how do I get back? What do I need to do? How do I get there? And I think of the times in my life that, that I, I would assert confidently, man, I've, I've wandered from God. I need to find my way back. And in those moments, I sometimes ask myself this question, what does God think of me? What does God think of me? I mean, I know how I feel, and I get, I get the, you know, the movements we need to take toward God, but what, is, what does God think of me when I wander? And Jesus actually answers this question with a story. It begins like this. There was a father that had two sons, and the younger son came to his father and said, Father, I want no part of you. I want my share of the inheritance. Give me what's owed to me. I'm entitled to this. And I want to take that and I want to leave home. So surprisingly, in the story that Jesus tells, the father does this, gives him his share of the inheritance. He sells what he can and he wanders off to, to another town. And it's there he lives this life that he thought he wanted, this life of luxury, of partying, of spending, of indulging. Now, if you're familiar with this story, and if you're not, we're going to work through it um, this morning, but there's a tension I think I want to address, because if life is really so good with the father, why does the son leave in the first place? You ever wonder that? I wonder that. If life is really so good with the father, why does the son get up and go somewhere else? And I even kind of have this mental picture of, of how that takes place because the, the son is with his father and everything that the father has is his. It's his home. It's his community. And I, and I imagine that the son, you know, might, might sit at a certain place in his home and, and everything is accessible to him. Everything that, that the father has is, 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 a, is an extension of, of him. He, he has access to it. And yet I almost picture this, this wandering son that, that departs to another town. 
as, as, as there's a moment where he's just sitting looking out the window. He's, he's at home, he's with his family, he's, he's near his father, but he's, he's spending his time looking out the window, wondering what would, what would life be like if I went there, if I left this place? How would that work? I think there's an expression that captures this we all know. The grass is greener on the other side. Do you ever say that sometimes? Do you ever feel that sometimes? I feel that. We, we, we spend our time sitting, looking out the window, wondering what would life be like if I was over there? If, you know, as you're, as you're driving around Scottsdale, do you ever think, man, what, if, what would it be like if I had that house? What would it be like if I had that car? What would life be like if I had that person, that marriage? What would it be like if I had that job, that promotion, that status, whatever that is. Sometimes we spend our, 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 our energy, we make an investment just staring out the window and looking at that grass and it looks green. And I think that's what the son is doing. In this story, he has his, his vision, his gaze fixed upon somewhere else. And I, and I had this this realization as I was thinking about this story, because it's true of our faith and our life in Christ. You cannot see the fullness of life in Christ if you only look at it with your peripheral vision. And here's what I mean by that. See, we all have peripheral vision. You look at something specifically, like all of you might be looking at me, or if I'm really boring, you might be looking somewhere else. But I'm, so I, I can sit here, and I'm looking towards that door. Like, that's the thing that my, my gaze is fixed upon. But I also have peripheral vision. I can see around me that there are people in this room. And that's a useful tool. We need to be able to utilize our, our peripheral vision. So say hypothetically, um, I, I'm up here on stage, and, uh, you know, we, we have our, our wonderful ministry partners, Kelly and Rhonda, and they're listening to me and they say, this guy is terrible. What a heretic. And Rhonda is so stirred by the spirit that she's, she leans over to Kelly and she says, I'm going to take this guy down. I'm going to tackle him off the stage right now. And Kelly might say, no, 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 Rhonda, don't do that. But, but the spirit is so strong that she jumps up and she charges at me from the side. If I'm looking straight at the door, I can still see her coming. And guess what? I've seen karate kid like eight times, so I'm not even afraid, all right? I just want you to know that. That's a warning, okay? That's a warning. Luke Webb, that's a warning to you too, all right? Don't, don't test me, homie. All right, so I can see things with my, with my peripheral vision, but it's not the thing that I'm actually focused on. It's not the thing that I'm actually watching. And so for the son, he, I think he gets a sense of his surroundings. I think he gets a sense, I've, I've got a good family, I, you know, I know my, my dad loves me. You know, there's good things here. I get that. I can kind of see it. But it's not the thing that I'm really pursuing. It's not the thing that I really want. I want that thing out the window. So as we talk about the story of the son um, and, and continue kind of through that narrative that Jesus tells, I think... Um, I think that there's, there, there's important things to understand. So, so Jesus kind of talks about the story. The son goes out, he squanders everything that he has. All the money's gone. And then there's a famine in the land. And so like resources aren't even accessible to him. He, he, he enslaves himself 
um, in order to, to, to survive. He's now like, you know, taking care of, of the pigs, which in this Jewish culture was disrespectful. It was, it was, you, how could you do that? Dishonorable. You, you don't do that. And it says the, the story was told um, by Jesus. He says, the son longed to eat the food that he gave the pigs. Like he's basically communicating this son is at the lowest of lows in his life. It doesn't get any worse than this. And so there, as we've gone through this series, we've talked about certain movements in the story. So maybe this is familiar. Week one, we talked about how the son came to his senses. That's, that's the first movement. He, he, he looked at the reality of his circumstance and he said, it's, there's gotta be something better than this. There's, there, is, there is something better than this. I can go and I can at least be a servant at my father's household and be treated better than, than where I'm at. So he came to his senses. That's the first movement. But then there's the second movement, because you don't just have the, the revelation, you don't just have the conviction there's something I need to do, you actually need to take a step of faith to do that thing. So then the, the, then the next movement is the son got up and he started making his way home. And that can be a challenging step to take, a difficult movement to make, to go home and confront the family that, you, that you've betrayed. But today I wanna talk about the third movement of the story the movement where, where the father embraces the son and the son accepts the father's love and begins a new life. Now, I wanna say this right now. I actually think that that's the most difficult of all three of them, which might be surprising because I think naturally we say, no, 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 when the father embraces you, like that's, that's a good thing. Who doesn't want that? We all want love. That's the easy step. But there's, there's two pieces to this that I think make it the most difficult step. There's, there's vulnerability and there's transformation in this movement. And those two pieces are what make it very, very difficult. So I wanna read this passage. After the son comes to his senses, decides I'm gonna go home, it says this in Luke 15. I'll get up and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Make me a hired hand. So, he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced his son and he kissed him. And then this is what the son says. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. That's the key phrase, I think, in this movement. I am no longer worthy. Have you ever felt like that? Have you had a moment in your life where, where there was that awakening? Life isn't good. This isn't where I belong. I've made some mistakes, and I don't want to be here anymore. And as we even take the step of courage, of faith, to move, to move in another direction, we carry that feeling of, I, I'm, I'm no longer worthy what the son does in this interaction with the father is he makes a confession. Now, what is a confession? There's a couple pieces to it. When we confess, we're voicing the same conclusion. We're aligning ourselves with something. We're acknowledging the truth. So for the son, here was his confession. Oh, I was wrong. I'm unworthy. This, my way was not the right way. I made a huge mistake here. I should not have done this. I would love to take it back. That's a confession for the son. And I think about the way that that confession was, 
was shared. Because even before he, he, he met with the father, that was running through his head over and over again. I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. On the way, on the journey to, to his home, back to his father, he's saying to himself, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. He just has to confess, I was wrong. This, I made a mistake. And then the father embraces him, and he, and he immediately says, Father, I, I have sinned. I have sinned. I'm unworthy. I make this confession. I should not have done this. Now, here's the question I have. Is it before or after the confession that the father embraces the son? It's before. The father doesn't need to hear a confession in order to embrace his son. His response is simply to love him and bring him back home. But that doesn't mean that there's not a role for confession. Oh, so then he didn't even need to say it. No, no, no. The confession wasn't for the father. It was for himself. In life, when we wander from God, when we say, this, there's got to be more. I, I, I've got I've to get out of here. It's an important step to say, you know what? My way is not better than God's way. I should not have done this. I made this mistake. And I think in the story, there's, there's those couple steps. So, so, um, so he, he's with the pigs and he's feeling terrible. And he says, there's, there's got to be something more than this. this the, he comes to his senses. Then he, then he starts making his way home. And when he makes his way home, then the father embraces him. And then he confesses. Those are the steps that we've talked through in this story. And I think at some level, we get that. We know what it's like. To, oh, I was wrong, God. I'm sorry. I need your forgiveness. But here's, here's the next part that's really challenging. Just because he does that, just because he confesses, and, and even though he's in the embrace of his father, what do you do with the shame that you feel? Because that doesn't go away. You can acknowledge I made a mistake. You can say I shouldn't have done that. But you can't so easily walk away from the shame that, that we carry from those mistakes. There's a reoccurring dream um, that I have. I think other people have. It's kind of a common one. Have you ever had the dream where you go to school in your underwear? Have you ever had that dream in your life? Um, it's awful. And I, I, wish, I wish that was a dream I had. I have the dream where I go to school completely naked. Like, it's even worse. And, and, and I hate that dream. And if, if you've ever had it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because, like, you're in a setting. So, like, let's say, like, this is my dream. I'm in this setting. And I'm never alone. It's not like you're, oh, by yourself. Like you're, you're in school. There's a, there's a ton of people around you. And at some point in this dream, you, you realize I'm, I'm not wearing any clothes. And so you kind of like scan the, the people in the dream like, and you can't gather like, do they know this? Do they see this? Because you clearly see it. You're aware that you're exposed. And so the whole time you're dreaming, you're just trying to like hide, like find, like I gotta, I gotta hide behind. And nothing's ever sufficient. You're not like, ooh, this is good enough. You're like, Oh my goodness, I, oh, I don't know what to do. And you're looking around the dream like, oh, maybe I'll fashion a belt. Oh, that's not going to work. And, and, and you find stuff in the, oh, this is a much better option. You just stand there. <laughs> and the whole time you're, you're highly aware, you're, you're, you're highly sensitive to the reality that you are exposed. You don't just simply forget. The whole time you're just, you're just watching and you're running and you're hiding. And I, I hate that dream. And, and I asked my wife, like, have you ever had that dream? And she said, no. So I'm like, oh, I guess she's like, you have some problems. And that's why, that's why you're having that dream. Um, 
So, but even though she's never had that dream, I do think at some level we all get that fear of being exposed. You want to know how I get that you understand that? Because all of you got dressed today. All of you are here wearing clothes, except for that person back there. Just kidding. There's no one back there. Oh, someone's naked. No, no, no. They're not. They're all clothed. Because we have that, that human emotion, that human experience of wanting to, to cover up when we feel vulnerable, when we feel exposed. So I want to talk about how the Bible addresses this, and it addresses it pretty early. In Genesis chapter 3, God makes everything, and, and, and among the things that he creates, he creates human beings. And he says to the human beings this, I made this for you to enjoy. Go explore. Go go." go Go see what you can accomplish. Cultivate the ground. Unleash its potential. Eat from many of these trees. There's so much freedom that God gives. But he does give a boundary. Because if God wants our heart, if God wants our love and return, there, there exists the possibility to depart, to leave from this place and go to another town when we sit and look out the window to focus our gaze upon something else. And many of you know the story. That's exactly what happens. God says, look, here's the boundary. It's to keep you safe. Trust me. My way is best. Believe me. But, but, but when you look out the window, it's, no, no, no. What if, what if there's a better life on the other side there? What if there's a better life when I'm in control, when I make the decisions, when I decide what's right and wrong? And so they eat the fruit from the tree. And this is what happens. It says this in Genesis 3. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Upon this departure, it was this exposure. Only for them, it wasn't a dream. They had to live in the reality of the brokenness that they created. And their reaction is natural. It's the same as any of us would do. You, 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 you feel exposed. You want to run. You want to hide. You grab anything around you, and you just cover yourself. That's what they did. They just find leaves, find figs, tie them together. We got to try to cover up as best we can. And all the while carrying this burden of shame. But this is what God does a few verses later. It says this, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Don't miss the significance of this. When God looks at the sin and the shame of his people, and he sees the way they try to cover up, to conceal, to hide, he says, no, 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 no. This isn't the life I intended for you. You don't need to jump behind things to run away. I will clothe you. God says, I, I will clothe you. So it's not surprising in Jesus' story when we wander from God that this is his response. After the son confesses, I am unworthy. Here's the next part of the story. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. The father says to the son, amidst his shame and his embarrassment, let me clothe you. Let me clothe you. 
And that's where I think the transformation comes in. Because when, when we approach home, God says, I don't want you to look like you looked before. I want you to look a little different. And in order to get there, you can't just hide, you can't just cover up. You need to let me be a part of this process. You need to let me clothe you. It says, put the best, the finest robe on. In a, in a patriarchal society, what robe is that? It's the father's. The father has the best robe. And he says, I'm giving this to you. This is mine and I'm giving it for you. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? When Jesus talks to his disciples, he says, I love you. This is my life. I lay it down for you. That's the image of the father to clothe us in our shame. And that's, and that's how the story continues. It says, we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And I bet that son, he certainly had his vision fixed inside this time. I bet he started realizing the beauty of what was available to him all along that he, he couldn't see, not because it wasn't there, but because he kept spending his time looking out the window. How many times have I done that? I ask myself every day, well, God, will I allow you to clothe me? That's the process of transformation, not just today. You don't just get dressed once, you get dressed every day. God, will you clothe me today? God, will you clothe me today? God, will you clothe me today? Matt did these really cool things last week, um, these kind of turning point statements. So I asked myself, um, in this story, how do I, how do I have these turning points? And I hear, here's the first one with confession. It's a turning point when we can say, God's way really is better than mine. That's, that's an important step to say, you know what? I was wrong. I need to confess that. God's way, God, your way is better than mine. I've made some mistakes and I get that. And in our shame, we have to make this other turning point statement. I can't cover my shame. It's like fig leaves. It's not enough, it's not good enough. I can't cover my shame. I need to be clothed and I need to invite God into that process. So there's been three prayers we've said throughout this series, well, we have three today. There's been a prayer every, every week that we said, pray this. Here's the challenge, go pray this. Week one, it was this. We said, God, if you are close, make yourself known to me and help me come to my senses. Maybe that's where you're at still today. Like, you know, I, I still, I, I just need to pray that prayer. God, help me come to my senses. Help me to see the reality of my situation. Week two, we said this. God, if you're close, make yourself known to me and give me the courage to return to you. We need, we need courage to take that step of faith. And here's, here's the prayer for today. God, if you are close, make yourself known to me and help me begin to live a new life in you. Help me to appreciate what's given to me, to keep my gaze fixed inside the party instead of outside. Help me to, help me to allow you to clothe me in my shame. So here's, here's a, an opportunity to respond, especially as we, we wrap up this series. I don't know where you're at, but I assume at some level we all need to place ourselves in the story and make our way back to God. So we have a couple options. There's, there's, there's a cross over here and little cards, and, and, and maybe you're still on that early stage. I, I come to my senses, I need to come to my senses. Maybe you just need to write something down, pin it to the cross as a statement of saying, God, help me see this. Help me see your way, your life. You can also light a candle on, on the corners of the room as a way of symbolizing that, God, I invite you here. I, wa I wanna be aware of your presence. 
I want to be sensitive to that. In, in, in the back, there's also communion as uh, an option for you. But maybe you, need to, maybe you need to approach the table and sit across from Jesus and, and make the same confession as that son. Jesus, your way, is, your way is better than mine. Sometimes I don't believe that. Sometimes I struggle with that. But man, I, I want to confess that. Your way, Jesus, is better than mine. I come to the table with that acknowledgement. And maybe you just need prayer this morning. Maybe, maybe you just need to accept the embrace of your community. And in the back room, um, there, there are people, there uh, are volunteers that are saying, hey, I'm here to pray for you. And maybe you don't need to give every detail. You don't have to go through the whole story. But you just need to give the bullet points and say, hey, this is the, this is the tough stuff. I need, I need prayer. I need help. And receive, receive the gift of, of your community to pray over you. So I invite you guys to stand up. And let me pray for us into a moment of worship where we can ask God, how can, how can we take that step of living full life in you? Father, I thank you for what we read in, in the book of, of Luke, this parable, this story. Sometimes we, we are that wandering son. Sometimes, sometimes we, we look out the window far too long. Sometimes we only see you with our peripheral vision because we're not really focused on who you are and what you want for our life. So God, I pray that we can be inspired from this story, this parable that you tell, because it's a picture of who you truly are, a father that embraces us. Any moment when we return home, it is met with an embrace, with love, with compassion, with kindness. So God, I pray for, for any of us this morning that need to take that step. Help us, help us to move forward in courage. In Jesus' name, amen.